four years ago this month, the Apple company introduced a new phone. And it was considered a revolution at the time, but nobody really understood the differences that it would make. Today, as phones are being sold, the Apple iPhone is the model. It's the one that things are patterned after. So following that came Android phones and Microsoft mobile phones and this whole generation of smart phones. How many of you out there have a smartphone? A few of us, right? You know what's interesting is uh, uh, there's a guy in this service who recommends more stuff to me on my smartphone than anybody else in the church. And some of you may know this about him, and some of you may not suspect this, but he, he, he sometimes is inconspicuous in the service because he likes to sit in the back corner. And so Wayne Yates, who's back there, Wayne, raise your hands. Everybody knows where you sit, just in case they don't know. Wayne gives me recommendations all the time. Now, here's what really made the phone take off. A year later, in July, three years ago, Apple announced that they were going to open this thing called the App Store. And everybody's like, okay, that's great. Where people can make their own applications for the phone. Well, it has exploded. Billion downloads. Hundreds of thousands of apps. And as a result, people's phones have become something more than that. They've become many computers lifestyle planners, and occasionally things you talk on. I'll just show you an example of what a phone looks like, and it's mine. This is my front page. Now, I know you can't see all that, but there are different apps all over it, and there's my text messaging. There's a little thing on there over in the, the second column far left that I can click on that type in a few things, and I can find out anybody in here that is in our system, your address, phone number, email, push a button, it gives me a map to your house, all that stuff, all right? So that's on there. I've got GPS on there. I've got two weather apps, just in case I don't like what one of them says. There's Facebook, Twitter, Major League Baseball, the version app that we used, and that's a pretty typical page. If you go to the second page, I'm not going to make you go through all of them, but I want to show you a couple. You'll see different. there's some things at the top where I can shop. There's some book readers in there, some information about movies, some uh, Skype that lets me talk to people. But in the middle of that section there is an interesting app. If you zoom in, there's an app there called Get Running. And a few months ago, I decided that I wanted to run a 5K. And... There is an app that will take you from couch to 5K in six to eight weeks. Now, for some of you, you won't need the couch to 5K because you're not a couch person. You're a recliner person. But just put in whatever you need there, all right? And so the idea is you could go from nothing to running a 5K in just a couple of months. So I downloaded the app. Went out and worked out to it, did the first routine of it, and guess what? I haven't opened it since. And almost every time I look at this page on my iPhone, I get this kind of feeling inside, like I really ought to push that app. But I know if I push that app, I'm going to feel worse about not 
doing it, looking on there and seeing the last time I actually ran using it was in February sometime. Now, here's the point. That app is supposed to get me from the couch to a 5K in a few weeks, but it does absolutely nothing good for me if I don't use it. If I just know it's there, if I just understand it's there, it is of absolutely no use to me. Now, here's what we've got to do over the next few weeks. We're going to begin to look at some areas of our lives and ask the question whether or not we are applying what we know. And this is the theme through it all. It's a simple three-word theme. That was the end of that video and that you'll hear for the next few weeks, in fact, for most of the summer. And it is simply this. Application is everything. Application is everything. It doesn't really matter how much you know. It doesn't matter how much you can recite. It doesn't matter how many books of the Bible you can quote. If you're not applying what you know, then it's of no use to you. Application is everything. And over the next few weeks, what we're going to do is we're going to think of some things, look at some things biblically that we know to be true, and just ask the question about whether or not we are actually doing what we know to be true. Now, let me just give a little caveat for a minute. This series is for people who are believers in Jesus Christ. This series is for Christians. It's for those of us who have committed our lives to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I want to tell you this. If you're here today and you have not given your life to Jesus, if you're not given your heart to Him, if you haven't decided to be a disciple of His, then everything I'm going to say today doesn't really apply to you. In fact, sometimes as Christians, we get that all messed up. We forget that the Old Testament was a book written to a people in relationship with God. We forget that the New Testament is a book written to a people who are in relationship with God. And I'm not talking about the kind of relationship where God created everything so everybody's a part of God's creation. I'm talking about a personal relationship with God. Sometimes as Christians, we've thought that what the Bible says is for everyone. But it's not. A few months ago, we did a series on the Ten Commandments. And in there, I discussed the fact that um, it doesn't really it doesn't really bother me that much when, when the Ten Commandments aren't up in a public building. I think it's great to have them there. I think it's good. They're great commandments. But we forget that the Ten Commandments were given to a people already in relationship with God. And they were specifically for His people. What we have in the New Testament are things that are specifically written to those of us who are believers in Jesus. What concerns me about the Ten Commandments and what concerns me about the New Testament is not that they get plastered everywhere for all the world to see. What concerns me is that the people of God follow what they say. And over the next few weeks, we're going to ask some very difficult questions and just ask, are we applying, are we doing what we know to be true? 
We're going to talk about different areas. We're going to talk about some subjects that for some of you will be um, convicting. And for some of you will just like, well, I don't have a problem with that. But the question I want you to ask is, are you applying what you know? This morning, we're going to start with kind of an overview, and we're going to look in the book of James. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of James. If you don't have your Bibles, the words will be up on the screen. I encourage you, if you've got them, though, to open them up, or if you're using the YouVersion app, it'll be there. And we're going to look just at four verses in the book of James. At the beginning of the book of James, we're actually going to be in James 1. The bulletin says James 2. There, there are two places. We'll refer to James 2, but James 1 is where I want to really focus. And here's what we're going to do. We're just going to tear apart James 1, 22 through 25. And James 1, 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The first thing that we have to understand is James is not saying that we shouldn't listen to the word. He advises us to listen to the word. He talks to us earlier in this chapter about listening instead of speaking, about being slow to speak, quick to listen. So the idea here is not that we just stop listening. The idea here is that we can't merely listen, simply listen, only listen. And deceive ourselves. And they say, how do you deceive yourself by just listening? Well, you deceive yourselves by believing that in listening, you're doing your part. Deception like this happens all the time. Happens every day. Happens every week. In fact, it's happening right now. Right here. The idea that we show up for church, we gather together, we listen, and we don't fall asleep, or we take some notes, or we we generally track with what the pastor's saying, then that's good, we've done our part, that's all we've got to do. I have fulfilled my obligation unto the Lord. You're being deceived. The idea that somehow we can just come and sit and listen and soak in and then not do something about it means we're being deceived. Deceived. I think this little passage, this little phrase is is so relevant for today. It's one of those things that just shows you the inspiration of God's word, that it speaks to all generations, that something written 2000 years ago is so relevant today. And James is saying, don't think by walking in the building, by doing your duty, by listening that you've done enough. You don't get points just for showing up. It's not like God is watching and saying, hey, listen, what? Wow, really did great today. He, he got up and he went to that building. That, that is unbelievable. Guess what? On Thursday, when he's looking for a parking spot at the mall, I'm going to give him one real close. He showed up. He's there. He didn't fall asleep until that really slow part about 20 minutes in. He, he paid attention 70% of the time. That's, that's good these days. I mean... Doesn't that preacher know what attention spans are these days? He did all right. And sometimes we think we get extra credit if we feel badly at the end of the service. Preacher preaches a message. I speak to you and you say, man, that really hit me today, pastor. Mm, mm, That hurt. Boy, you got on my toes. 
You went to meddling this morning, preacher. I'm glad people were here to hear that one, pastor. And suddenly we think, oh, we've done our part. And the worse we feel, the more extra credit we think we deserve. But just merely listening is not enough. Head knowledge is not enough. Knowing is not enough. You know who understands this principle pretty well? Are non-believers. People that you are around all the time. People who see you and think, wow, I, I know they go down to that church and I know they're there every Sunday or at least two or three times a month. And I don't really see anything different about them than me. But they... I mean, they think they're better because they go to the church and they spend some time there. But really, I mean, there's no difference. Don't merely listen to the Word and deceive yourselves. And then James 1.22 adds this. Do what it says. Now, wait a minute. I mean, you don't mean all of it, right? I mean, you mean part of it. It's just saying those those parts that are easier and those hard parts. That's like that like the AP course. That's like the college exam. Like we just we're okay if we just kind of do the high school stuff, right? The the easier stuff. James is pretty clear that when he says do what it says, he means all that it says. And the truth is, the reason that's frightening is because if we really did what the Bible says, we would have our lives changed. Some of you would have to live in a different house because you've overbought. Some of you would have to make a very uncomfortable phone call to either ask forgiveness or to give it. Some of you would have to give up your rights in a situation and embrace the responsibility of being the peacemaker. Some of you would have to give more than you're giving. Some of you would have to live a little below your means in order to be able to fulfill the obligations that God has put on your life. Some of you would have to sacrifice more. Some of you would have to give up some habits that have been a part of your life for years and years and years. Some of you would have to confess some things that you've been holding back into your heart. When it says, do what it says, those four words mean a whole lot. The idea there is that we just simply obey. What Deborah talked about. When the Lord calls you, you just simply obey. At the end of this service, we're going to have a special time of prayer for Dee. And some of you know Dee and some of you don't. But Dee has been with us for a few months, a couple of different times. And she feels like at this time, the Lord has called her to a ministry in Haiti. And to be honest with you, she doesn't know a whole lot more than that. She doesn't know time. She doesn't know exactly how, where, when, but she's being obedient to the Lord and going. Her life is being turned upside down because she's going to do what the Lord called her to do. I was thinking about something last week when I was reading a kind of discussion about American Christianity, and one of the people said, we've made it too easy in America to be a Christian. And my thought was the reason we've made it too easy or the way that we've made it too easy is we haven't been honest about doing what the Bible says. James goes on to say this. 
anyone who listens to the word, but does not do what it says, is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror. And after looking at himself, goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. How many of you looked in a mirror this morning? All right. How many of you got up, didn't check the mirror, didn't check your hair, just walked out the door and said, I am what I am? That's what I thought, all right? How many of you got up this morning, looked in the mirror and thought, man, I can't look any better than I do right now? No. What do we do? We get up in the morning and we've got the oh wow collection. You know what I mean? The, we get up, we stumble into the bathroom, we put our contacts in if we need to do that, or we just look straight and we go, oh wow. And then we've got a collection of stuff laid out that we then have to take and apply to ourselves in order to make ourselves look presentable. Some of us take 10 minutes. Some of us don't. But the point is, none of us get up and look at it and say, man, that is, that's just fine. That's just the way it is, all right? We do something to fix what is there. Now, we have these really good mirrors today. But back in the day that James is writing, they didn't have really good mirrors. They, they would have some kind of, of, of uh, burnished metal or, or some kind of, kind of metal that had been made to where it could show somewhat of a reflection or even some people had to try to see their reflection in the water in the morning. But he says, even in those imperfect moments that we see vaguely in a mirror what we look like, we change what we look like. He says, and if you are a person who looks into the Scripture, who listens to the Word of God, If you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you know what it says and you don't do anything about it, then you are like a man that walks into the mirror and says everything's good and walks away without doing anything about it. The truth is, every one of us, when we glare into the truth of Scripture, see things in our lives that need to improve. We see things in our lives that need to change. In fact, some of us know those things so well that we just avoid the Scriptures where it talks about it. We know how to conveniently navigate around the commands of Jesus that particularly prick our conscience. We know how to maneuver our way around a Scripture and come up with explanations so that we don't have to really deal with what's going on. Here's how James finishes. But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. There's a couple of interesting little phrases there. And the first is that it says the man who looks intently. Now, some people have made that a contrast between somebody that just kind of glances in the mirror and someone who looks intently into the Word of God. The truth is the idea is the same behind both of them that we ought, we ought to be intently gazing upon the Word of God and what it means. You ever seen one of those mirrors that is a magnifying mirror? I mean, you can see every pore on your face with those things. That's what it means to look intently. 
And the scripture here teaches that we ought to be continually engaging our lives in the word of God. And then it says this interesting phrase. It says, when you look intently into the perfect law, that brings freedom. Now, I want to be real honest with you. There have been times in my life. There have been times in my life when I have heard things and phrases that did not feel like freedom to me at the moment. For instance, when I was a teenager, when you're a teenager, you get told a lot. And when I was a teenager, somebody told me that the best way in life to live is that when you get money, you give 10%, you save 10%, and you live on 80%. And when I was a 16-year-old son and my parents gave me an allowance for doing chores, I sure didn't want to give 10, save 10. I wanted to spend 100. But I began to live that principle out. And even today, we live that principle out of giving, saving, living. And here's the crazy thing about it. In my generation, I am completely weird that I even consider doing that. My generation gives about 1%. They save about 2%. And they live on 105%. Now, I know those numbers don't add up, but those are the numbers. But here's what I've discovered. As you give 10, save 10, live on 80, what you discover is the longer you journey in that process, the more freedom you have in living your life. That doesn't mean that there aren't circumstances that change and difficulties that come, but those of my friends who never did the 80-10-10, that did the 105-2-1, even at 35 and 40 years old, are shackled with things that it will take them years to get out from under. When I was a child or teenager, I was told at least once a month in my youth group about the importance of purity. About keeping yourself pure until marriage. And back then, that did not seem like some kind of great freedom. It seemed restricting. But now, going on 13 years of marriage, I am so thankful to God that I heeded that particular message. Because of the freedom I experienced in my marriage for listening to that advice as a teenager. There have been times in my life when I have heard from the Lord and from others that I need to forgive someone. And at the moment, that doesn't seem very freeing. And those moments in my life when I haven't chosen to forgive, you know what has happened? Bitterness and envy and strife has welled up into my soul and into my person. And as a result, I have become enwrapped with the need I have to forgive. I've heard all my life that my body is a temple unto the Lord. Now, the true understanding of that passage may be a little different than it is normally used, but the understanding is that we should do our best to take care of what God has given us. And there have been moments in my life that I have done better at that than others. But here's the thing. The better I take care of my body and discipline it, the better I feel. 
what James says here is we think sometimes that these things are limiting, that are restrictive. But the truth is that doing what God has called us to do is the most liberating thing you can imagine. And there are many of us in this room this morning that have things in our lives that we must apply, that we have refused to apply in our lives, truths that we have known, forgiveness, encouragement, giving, confession, things that we know we are called to do, sharing our faith with other people, sacrificially living our lives for the glory of God and for the benefit of others. And yet we have refused to do so. And as a result, we are becoming chained up, imprisoned in our resistance to just do what God has called us to do. What James says is that if you are one that looks into it and does what it says, freedom will come. Anybody know who James' brother was? Jesus, right? James is an interesting character because James was not one of the 12 disciples. Somebody said one time, why was James not one of the 12 disciples? Well, how much proof would it take to convince you that your brother was the Son of God? Right? He was a little too close to the situation. He, he, He was one of the ones that went and said, hey, Jesus, quit doing what you're doing. We know you. You're my brother. Just come home. You're embarrassing the family, Jesus. But after Jesus died and rose again, James became a follower of his. And there is no doubt that behind this passage of Scripture is an understanding of Jesus' most famous sermon. Matthew chapters 5 through 7, Jesus gives this Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, he talks over and over about these very difficult things. You've heard it said, do not murder. I say, don't even get real angry. You've heard it said, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look lustfully at a woman. You need to pray continually. You don't need to do it out in public, but you need to do it behind the scenes. But you need to be fervent consistently in your prayer. You need to be humble. You need to be poor in spirit. You need to hunger and thirst for righteousness. All these brilliant things he says. And he gets to the end, the last thing, his concluding illustration, he says, and if you do what you have just heard, you are like the man who built his house on the rock. And when the storms came and the waters rose, it stood firm. But if you don't do what you have just heard, then you are like the man who built his house on the sand. The rains came and the waters came up and the house was washed away. James in chapter 2 makes an even bolder statement than he makes here about not doing what you believe. He says, you say you have faith. I say, great, I'll show you my faith by what I do. And then he says this, you say you believe, even the demons believe and shudder. But that doesn't mean they're followers of God. Here's the thing I want to finish with today. Two things, really. First of all, I just want you to ask yourself a real serious question. I just want you to ask and deal with the question of whether or not you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Are you a follower of His? Now, for some of you in this room, that's not a real difficult thing to say because you know what? I've never done that. You're right. I'm not, and I need to think about that. But Scripture also suggests that there's a group of us that need to think about that, that think that we've already made that decision. And it's the group of people that maybe made a verbal decision acknowledgement or even walked an aisle or even got dunked in some water, but that application is not a part of our lives. 
that no change has ever occurred in who we are. In the book of 1 John, he says, no one can say that they're a follower of Jesus if they kept on sinning. James will say, listen, if you have faith or say you have faith, but it isn't followed by some kind of action, it's dead. So let me ask you a question. Are you in a relationship with Jesus? Have you given your heart and your life to Him? And if not, would you consider this morning to be a time to figure that out? Here's the second thing. If you're a follower of Jesus, you say, Pastor, I know, I, I know that I'm a follower of Jesus. And while I'm not perfect, I, 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 I really try. And there are moments when I fail, but, but for the most part, I follow the Lord. But there are a couple of areas in my life where I need to do better. Where I need to apply what I know. Here's what I want to challenge you. I want you to take a challenge to write that down somewhere. Maybe it's one thing. Maybe it's two things. Maybe it's three things. Maybe it's an attitude. Maybe it's an action. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's something that just says, this is something I know that the Lord is calling me to do, and I've just resisted it. And then I want you to partner with me for this summer to apply what you know. Now, I'm going to do that as your pastor. And there are some things in my life that I've committed to the Lord that I'm going to work on. And I'm not going to reveal all that to you. But there's one thing I'm going to reveal to you. That Get Running app, I'm going to get running. And I want you to hold me accountable. And as much as I'm going to dislike walking through these halls and everybody in the world asking me, have you been running this week? I want you to ask me, all right? Because that's something, because of my health, in my family I have that I feel the Lord's called me to do. So my goal is to run a 5K at the end of this summer. Maybe in the fall when it's not 180 degrees outside. I'm going to run a 5K this year. And I'm going to get running. Now, that's a simple thing. And that I'm not saying that all of you out here got to go to physical goals. I've got some spiritual things to work on as well. I'm asking you to covenant with me to start applying some things you know. Let me tell you two things you're going to need if you're going to do that, regardless of what it is. First of all, you're going to need prayer. You can't do it on your own. We talked about temptation for the last month. You can't do temptation on your own. And the first thing that's going to happen when you say, I'm doing this new attitude, or I'm going to apply in this area, or I'm going to do this that I know God's called me to do, I'm going to give like God's called me to give. Let me tell you, if you say today, I'm going to give like God's called me to give, you're going to get a bill in the mail this week that you didn't know about. If you say, I'm going to have a better attitude about so-and-so this week, I'm going to forgive them for what they've done, they're going to do something new to you this week. That's, that's the way the enemy works. And you're going to need the prayer of God to make it through. And the second thing you're going to need is accountability from somebody else. If you're not in a Sunday school class, you need to get in a Sunday school class, and you need to share with some people in there, this is something I'm working on, and I need to be held accountable about it. You're going to need those things in your life. But would you covenant with me to start applying what we know? Because here's the truth. Application is everything. I'll close with this quote. There was a guy that said, 
that knowing truth from Scripture and not doing it is like having a can of paint and not putting it on the walls. The can of paint doesn't do anybody any good sitting in the can. Application is what matters. And there are some of you in this room that are living your lives like cans of paint that have never been opened. You're not applying what you know God's called you to do.